Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Chris. My name is Polly Pistola, and I'm an alcoholic. By God's grace, in a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, I haven't had a drink since April the 11th of 1977. And for that, I am eternally grateful. I have a home group, which is the West Connect Group in Jacksonville, Florida. We meet on Monday night, and if you're ever in Jacksonville, Florida, I encourage you, I invite you, I welcome you to come to our meeting. It is absolutely fabulous. I have a sponsor, the amazing Rena Kay. And she has a sponsor, and her sponsor has a sponsor, and so on and so forth. And I am so absolutely so grateful to be here today, to be here because, Ralph White, you have been in my life for a very long time, and I thank you so much, so much for being able to speak at your conference. I am in love with the White Brothers. And the first white brother I met was Ronnie. And I met Ronnie a long time before I met Ralph. And it was, I, and how that happens, I don't know, because Ralph was all around speaking in Southern California. And I just happened to swing, I just happened to swing in, the, in the circles that Ronnie was in. And got to hang out with him a lot. And then on Zoom, I met Reggie. And I am just crazy about the White Brothers. So thank you, my darling. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of this conference. I am so honored. I am just so honored. Uh, my job today is to talk about two and three. But I've, I have to, in order to scoot into two and three, I got to talk about a little bit about one. Uh, first of all, I have... No credentials that would ever make me an alcoholic. I am a loved, adored child. My parents loved me. I'm an only child. They would try anything they could to give me everything I wanted. I was a cherished, cherished child. The other thing is, is I, am, I was raised Southern Baptist. And I tell you, in a Southern Baptist church that I was raised in, there was a lot of thou shalt not drink. And for 18 years, I didn't. I did not drink. I knew that it was a sin. And I believed hearing from that church, if you drank alcohol, you were doomed to go to hell. And that's the way I believed. And that was the fear that was instilled in me. So even though when I was in high school, which was a long time ago, when I was in high school, there wasn't a lot of drinking and all the stuff that goes on today. And if there was, I didn't find that crowd. I didn't know anything about that crowd. And so I didn't know anything about drinking until I married my husband, who was a second lieutenant in the United States Air Force. And our first duty station was going to be Mather Air Force Base in Sacramento, California. 
And I, I just, I was just this young girl marrying this amazing man who looked fabulous in a uniform. And we headed off to Mather Air Force Base. And what happened as a result of being there is I took a drink at an officer's wife's luncheon. And most of what I was doing as an Air Force officer's wives were things that were called mandatory. There was a certain protocol back in the olden days when I was an Air Force wife that were expected of Air Force wives. We were expected to be part of the officer's wives club. We were expected to be dressed properly. We were expected to attend all functions. It was what was expected of us, and it was made very clear. And when I ended up going to a coffee, and because it was put on by the base commander's wife, and it was mandatory, even my invitation was stamped with a mandatory. I was, it was mandatory that I show up at this coffee. And I went to that coffee that day, and that office, that woman, the base commander's wife, all of the second lieutenant's wives were sitting at this breakfast, and she made it very clear what our job would be as airports officers' wives, and how we would be supportive, how we would be dressed properly. We were really supposed to walk walk a very fine line and be very proper at all times. And we were to attend all the functions that were given. And what happened is two weeks later at the Air Force officer's wives luncheon, I walked into that room. There was a little table set up for us to have lunch. And towards the back of the room was a long table. And on one end of that table was some little glasses. And on the other end of that table was a fountain with liquid coming out of it. And I saw these women picking up that glass and putting it under that fountain. Now, I was a little Baptist girl raised in Port Arthur, Texas. So my childhood was not all that broad and, you know, seeing all the things that you see. And what I did is I put my glass under that fountain, not realizing what it was, and I took a sip. And what happened to me that day, I remember, I have never forgot what happened, and I've never forgotten the feeling. I took a drink of sherry, a very wussy drink. I took a drink of sherry. I can to this day feel how warm it was, how it felt when it went down, and how my whole body just sort of just relaxed and I just felt at such ease. I got that feeling that Bill talks about, that feeling of ease and comfort that comes at once with taking a few drinks. I got that feeling at once and I knew without a shadow of a doubt I was going to do that again. 
my husband had already been drinking and had uh, my, I had met him in church and we were told, you know, thou shalt not drink. He didn't buy into thou shalt not drink. He was already drinking. And now I'm not buying into thou shalt not drink either. And I started drinking alcohol. And within a short period of time, probably maybe if just a few years, for a long time, it was just, it seemed like alcohol gave me no problems. It gave me a lot of ease and comfort, but it gave me no problems. I didn't have to have it all the time. And, uh, but within a few years, I was drinking every day and it was cocktails before dinner, wine with dinner, cocktails after dinner, cocktails after dinner, cocktails after dinner. It just sort of went that way until my drinking began to be in control of me. And I was doing things that I cannot even believe I was doing. I was neglecting my children. I couldn't get them up for school. And by the time my oldest child was 15 years old and my youngest child was 13, I was incapable of taking care of my sons. My husband had been medically retired from the military. He was, uh, you know, I forgot to set my clock. I always do this. He was retired from the military uh, medically retired from the military, he was 100% disabled, and I am not capable of taking care of him either. And what happens is, as I just, I continued to drink, and it just became so bad that I, I was a realtor, and I was, I was drinking in empty houses. I was doing whatever I could to drink so that people didn't see me. I did not know another alcoholic. The only thing that I knew about alcoholism was I had seen the days of wine and roses and I'll cry tomorrow. I had never, I didn't know another alcoholic. The people we were friends with were not, did not have the problem. So what was happening to me, I didn't know. I thought I was crazy. I thought there was something like that wrong with me. And uh, finally, I ended up by being forced there by my husband into a detox. And I went to this detox, and it was really great. There, was, there, were, I, there were people in there. At first, I thought, oh, my God, as I looked around that detox, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not like these people. And before long, you know, my I get to clearing up a little bit and my libido starts coming alive. And these guys in detox look good. And my husband had been sick a long time. And I was a young woman. And pretty soon I've run off with a guy in detox. And we stay sober for six weeks. And I end up taking another drink of alcohol. And then I take, I get back into that detox and I am ashamed and I, I don't I can't believe I ended up there and I'm a model picture I'm not doing anything wrong I'm doing everything they say and I look like I'm getting the program but what happens when it's that detox is over I get a bottle of scotch and I get a bag of pills a valium to be exact 
and I check into a motel because I can't live with myself. And I am certain that God is going to punish me anyway and that I'm going to burn in hell because of what I have done to my family, of the embarrassment that I've caused. My daddy is really sick. He's dying of colon cancer. And I can't even get to Abilene, which is three hours away. I can't get to Abilene to see my dad and he's dying. And I'm so ashamed. I just feel like I am that worthless individual that is just occupying space on the earth and I don't belong here. And I just wanted to die and have it over with. I know that there's a God. I know that there's a God. Because what happened is a girlfriend of mine said something came over her. And she knew that she had to find me. And she started driving around until she found me in this hotel room. And I hadn't shut the door all the way. And I had just closed it. And she pushed it open and she found me. And on April the 8th of 1977, I was pronounced dead on a hospital in Bedford, Texas. By God's grace and a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, I sit here today. What happened to me is I was resuscitated because I am still alive. I was resuscitated and this brought back to brought back to breathing. And what happens in the state of Texas in 1977, if you try to commit suicide, you will get the attention of the authorities. And I got the attention of the authorities. And what had happened is, is I got sent to a psychiatric hospital for 48 hours. And in that 48 hours, my husband obtained a court order from a Fort Worth judge that I was a detriment to myself and others, and I was court committed to treatment. And I entered that treatment center on April the 11th of 1977. And it has been the most exciting ride I can possibly tell you. I have, I fell in love with Alcoholics Anonymous. And in this treatment center in Dallas, Texas, people would come in from the outside and they would take us to meetings and they would uh, read us the big book and they would come into the uh, treatment center and read us the big book and the 12 and 12 and they would offer to be temporary sponsors. And what would happen is the treatment center would put us on little buses and take us to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I fell in love with AA with a passion that has never left me. I love this program so much. There isn't anything that I wouldn't do for the program of Alcoholics Anonymous because this program has given me a life beyond anything I could have ever, ever experienced. My husband was in the military and he was traveling all over the world before he got sick because that's what they did. They flew those B-52s to this place and that place and they got to go see a whole lot of things. And we stayed home in places like Roaring Air Force Base, Maine and beautiful spots on the earth that were so desolate, which is where they had the B-52s. And what happened for me is here I am, sober in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And because of that, I have been able, Dave and me, to travel the world. It has been, a, I can't even imagine 
a life that is any, has been any more wonderful than ours is. And what happened, I didn't start, Dave and I didn't start out very good. But what happened is, is I met this man at AA. I was about six months sober. And we became really good friends. I really loved him a lot. And, uh, but we were just friends. And Dave took a job in Salt Lake City, Utah, and he left Hearst, Texas, which is right outside of Fort Worth. And he came back a few months later and said, Polly, I'm in love with you and I want to marry you. And what I did is I left my husband and my two sons. I left them. My husband was a hundred percent disabled from the military. And I left him and my two sons and my two sons and I ran off with Dave. And Dave is sitting here beside me. Okay? So you guys can say hello today. And, um, and I ran off with Dave. And I tell you, Dave and I have had a run in Alcoholics Anonymous. We've been married 42 years and we have had a, we have had the most amazing life. And it's all because of these steps that were handed to me when I was brand new and Alcoholics Anonymous. I got these steps. And when it came to the second step, came to believe in a power that would restore me, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And what happened was, is that was a very hard step for me. Because what I had been in the, I had been with the Baptist church. I was 36 years old when I got sober. So I'm not as young as they're coming in now and even then. So, but I was 36 years old when I got sober and I was so certain that God was going to punish me in some way because I had married Dave and left my kids and my husband. And how could I be restored to sanity? How is God going to pay any attention to me? But I had this wonderful sponsor. And the sponsor had been the director of that detox center. And um, he had he had told me when I got sober, that, you know, I needed to stay in touch with him. I needed to work these steps. I needed to do all these things. And I said, but Frank, I have done all. I have abused my children. I had neglected my children. I had physically and mentally harmed my children. I had damaged my children. I left my children for another man. I, I left and was still married. And Dave and I, you know, go to another state together. We're still both married, but not to each other. We're married to other people. And I mean, and we start a life crazy. How does that ever work out to be that big of a nutcase? How does that ever work out? But what happened was there was one thing that I had. And that was that passion for Alcoholics Anonymous. And they shared that. We both had that spark that we loved meetings. We loved going to meetings. 
I was volunteering every time we would do a move in his job before moving to Southern California. I would go and volunteer and halfway houses, detoxes. I, I love it. I still do it today. I still do the same thing today. And I was busy. We were busy in Alcoholics Anonymous. It was our life. And then Dave and I uh, got the opportunity to move to Southern California. And when I was three years sober, I heard a woman speak in Austin, Texas. And I said, if I ever am anywhere where that woman is, I'm going to ask her to sponsor me. And Dave and I moved to Southern California in 1980. And as soon as I got there, I called the intergroup office and I said, do you have a phone number for a woman named Dottie Harris? And they said that they did. And I called her and I asked her if I could meet her. And she told me I was in Santa Monica. That's where we were. And she said, you can meet me Monday night at 830 at the Big Book Group in Downey, California. And I went there. And I saw her, and just to see her ignited that spirit inside of me. And uh, she said to meet her for coffee the next day, and I asked her to sponsor me. And Dottie was my sponsor for 34 years. And she gave me the gift. She had the most amazing God. She loved God so much. And what she did is she gave me her God. And she says, Polly, if you're sober in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, God is so proud of you. He loves you. And he's going to keep you sober. Just know that he is the power that's greater than you. He is the power that's gonna let, that's gonna guide you. And Dottie, I fell in love with Dottie's God. And Dottie's God guided me for a long time until I found that God of my own. Because Dottie's God, what am I doing here? Okay. Dottie's God was, she had a God that was very similar to mine. I had been raised Southern Baptist, but she had been raised Catholic. And so what happened is between her guiding me, she led me to a beautiful, beautiful God that was somewhere in between there and that loved alcoholic. And I became able to believe in that God that would restore me to sanity. In step three, it said, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Now, I didn't understand God at all. I didn't understand why bad things happen to good people. Because my husband was such a good man. He was a good man. What kind of God would take a man he was 36 when he got sick. Would take a man who was 36 years old and make him absolutely someone who couldn't work, who was disabled, who couldn't walk across the floor with and not and hardly 
choke without having a, enough air. How could somebody do that? I didn't understand it. I didn't understand a lot of things. We had, you know, we had some beautiful people who had some terrible things happen because this was during the Vietnam War when they were flying. And it was just like, how could these things happen? And that day, that not day, but that my first husband would get, would get exposed to Agent Orange because he ended up being an advisor in the latter, the latter part of his, of his career. And he was exposed to Agent Orange and Agent Orange had made him sick. How can that, how can that happen? He's such a young man. I, I kept questioning, why do these things happen? Why do these awful things happen to good people? And I just couldn't understand it. And Donnie used to say, Holly, if it's of God, it's good. It is good. It doesn't seem like it's good. A lot of things don't seem like they're good, but they are good. These are good things that are happening. It's our finite minds just do not understand. Because God is bigger than us. God is bigger than us, and we don't understand. And what happened is I started to come to believe in that God. And it was through Dottie showing me her God. And as time went on, I began to believe in that third step. Come to believe in a God that I didn't understand. And today, I still don't understand. There are things that go have gone on through the years that I haven't understood. And I'm going to just talk about some of them. And one of them is my oldest son. Uh, my oldest son had a very hard time about me being an AA. It embarrassed him. He didn't want to know about it. And uh, to this day, he is still a working radio announcer in the Los Angeles area. And he just didn't want to know about AA. He said, you know, it's all you talk about is AA, and you're always gone somewhere for AA. You, you love AA more than you love your family. And sometimes it was just a struggle. It was really, really a struggle. He had, he and his wife had two children. And I have these two granddaughters and we lived very close to each other. And by God's grace for the time we lived in, uh, in Los Angeles, uh, or not Los Angeles, Orange County in the, Cal in the Southern California area, I had the opportunity of being able to babysit with my granddaughters and have a fabulous relationship with them. And that is amazing. My youngest son was uh, 21 years old. And he had started college and had dropped out of college and had gone to work for a landscaping uh, man. And one day he looked up and he he found himself coming to after a New Year's Eve party and he called me and he said, Mom, I want what you have. I'm an alcoholic. And I said, well, I suggest you go to AA. And he said, I don't want it that bad. 
and hung up on me. And But James has been sober ever since. And I've been able to walk this walk for 38 years with my son. And it has been the most amazing to be able to have that much time together in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous has just been amazing. And my oldest son, four years ago, called me on the phone and he said, I'm going to rehab. And I said, what? And he said, I'm going to rehab. And this past November, my oldest son celebrated four years in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. So if somebody is out there and you've got a son or you've got a daughter that needs this program, don't stop praying because it's not about my time. It's about God's time. And I prayed and I cried for 41 years. But my son Russ has four years of sobriety. And a few months ago, well, just about a month and a half ago, Russ came to visit Dave and I here in Florida. And it is the first time he has come to our house since we left Southern California 27 years ago. So it is amazing what will happen if we just keep doing what we're supposed to do. Just suit up and show up and do the next right thing. And it's just amazing what comes to pass. Russ has been here a couple of times very recently because Dave has been so sick. And I'm going to talk about that. Dave and I, I like to say, have really had a fabulous run at Alcoholics Anonymous. We've got to do so many things. And we love being married. We've loved being married. And Dave's a writer, and he's a researcher, and he does all that stuff. I always say Dave does all the work, and I'm just the mouth. But what happened is, is Dave put together traditions and relationships, and he started to write about our relationship and all the things that God has done for us and all the things that we've been willing to do when asked for this program. And that is to suit up and show up no matter what to this program. And we've had been able to take that and go around and talk about traditions and relationships. And it has been an amazing gift that was given both of us that we have been able to do. In 2015, they got sick. And we didn't know what was happening and found out that he had lung cancer. And the doctor went in there and took out half his lung. And we thought, you know, that's it. Everything's fine. And since 2015, it has been one thing after another. It just seems every time we turn around, Dave's got something else wrong. And uh, now it's pretty bad. And uh, he's pretty... Uh, a few years ago, he got diagnosed with Parkinson's, and it's he has had a fast, a fast growing or developing. I don't know how you want to call Parkinson's, the Parkinson's disease, and it affected his entire being. 
Uh, he has a lot of trouble remembering. Sometimes he has trouble speaking. He can't hardly walk. It's He can't walk. And it's just been a hard, hard ride. It's been one of those things that you just don't know what to do. And uh, what happened is of late, I'm going to just kind of talk about what's happened as of late is that Dave ended up, uh, has been hospitalized so many times and uh, everybody was very worried about me. My friends, my sons were coming in. They were very worried about me. Polly, you've got to take care of yourself. You've got to take care of yourself. So I finally ended up uh, finding um, this, it was kind of like a nursing home rehab memory unit hospital for Dave. And um, every time I went there, he had another bruise and another knot on his head where he had fallen. It was just, I, you know, it was just awful. And uh, about two weeks ago, it'll be two weeks Monday, my grandson was visiting, was visiting us and and uh, Ryan said, Grandma, let's go see Papa before I catch the airplane. He was flying out that night, and Dave wasn't there. And then the uh, the attendant told me that he was in the highway. He was at the hospital. And I went to the hospital, and Dave had fallen another time. And had a big goose egg on his, uh, on his head. He was, his hand was all cut up. And I just took him from, we, they discharged him from the hospital. I put him in the car. We went straight to that nursing home. I got all of his stuff and I brought him home. I said, I don't care. This isn't going to happen. And uh, for the past two weeks, David's been home. My life, I was doing, being able to do a little bit. I'm not going to be able to do that. But what I am very glad that you, that Alcoholics Anonymous gave me a marriage beyond my wildest dreams and gave me a family beyond my wildest dreams. And there's no way anybody else is going to take care of my husband. It's just not going to happen. I am so grateful that I have the privilege of being able to care for him and I, he's going to stay right here with people coming in and out. And what I've learned is, is that hospice is amazing. They will do anything for you. They just come in and they bathe them and they care for them. They give you all kinds of stuff. And I thought this was like the end of the world thing. I didn't understand what it was. And it's not at all. It's not the end of life. It's taking care of a person until it's the end of life. And I've just been so blessed. And I think about all of the things that have happened and that I get the opportunity to do this today. It's just amazing. that. But what happens is, is you gave me some tools because I found a God of my understanding, I learned to be a wife. You taught me how to be a faithful, loyal, honest woman and wife and mother. 
And today, after all these years that I've had with not having hardly any kind of relationship with my oldest son, I have this relationship with my oldest son. And he came and stayed with us a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago. And it was the first time that he had spent the night in my house in some odd 30 years. And it was just, well, longer than that, 40 some odd. So it's there. We get to, we get to experience God's gifts. The only thing is we don't get to have the timeline on God's gift. That's God's business. That's not my business. God's going to give it on his time and in his way. And all I have to be willing to do is come to believe in that power and make a decision that I'm going to do whatever I can to make a decision to turn my life over to God and try not to question what God is doing. And when I do that, my life is amazing. I look at this. I'm sitting here looking at this Zoom, and I see so many people on this Zoom that I know for years and that I've had some hard times. Bill's going to talk in a little while, and I can see Bill sitting there, and there's been a, there's a lot of struggles in his and Linda's life. These are the things that what happens is, is God give you someone always to go ahead of you so you can see, no matter what, just don't lose faith. Just keep the faith and know that no matter what, God is going to take care of us. And that's what's happened. And what happened is, is that Dave was sick and here came, you know, COVID. And I'm like, you know, and you can't and you can't go out, everything shut down. And within a week or a week and a half, I don't know what it was, there was a man named Mike and a woman named Paul. And they just they figured out how to set up Zoom. And the next thing we knew, we were zooming all over the world. And going to places and meeting people that there is no way that we could have met otherwise. And that's what's, I've got a friend named George that's on here from Toronto. And it's no way you would get to meet these people. I met him in Toronto, but you get to keep meeting and you get to keep seeing people on Zoom. You get to see faces that you'd never know before. And you go to meetings in the UK and you go to meetings in Ireland and you go to meetings all over the world. I ran. I can't believe that I had the opportunity to speak and I ran. I mean, these are the things that we've gotten to do. And AA was there. And people, whatever it is, God places a thought or something in somebody's head, whatever it is. And you give an alcoholic something to obsess over, and the next thing we have Zoom. And Zoom's always been around. It just hasn't been. And they've always had the little squares doing stuff, but we never did it in AA. And here we are. 
doing Zoom. And I cannot believe it because I love Zoom. Sometimes I do three Zooms a day. It is just so fabulous. And I come in here and I sit in our little office and I turn on and AA is right there at my fingertips. I can do, we have book studies, just 12 and 12s, all of this, of our literature, different literature. There's every kind of zoo, women's meetings, anything, men's meetings, haven't been to one of those, but men's meetings, anything you want, we have it. And I just want to say that God loves us so much that he knew we couldn't be without AA and the pandemic. We had to see people, and we had to laugh together, and we had to talk together, and we had to be together. This is what we had to do. And that, and I felt like I never missed a meeting. I never, I, it never felt like that, oh my God, you don't have any place to go. What are you going to do without being with people in AA? And here it was. Here it was soon. It's amazing. I have two sponsees I've never met because I met them on Zoom, but I've never seen them for real. I've never touched them. These are the things that we get to, we get to experience. Imagine AA, we get to experience the Zoom. We find a way to keep it so that we abide by the traditions. And we've got a lot of people helping us do that, that are really good and understand the traditions and keep us on, keep us on track and keep us doing things the right way. I cannot imagine what my life would have been like had I not been able to come to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and experience the friendships and to be able to go through what I'm going through right now and be able to have all the people that I have in my life, all the people that are helping me, all the people that call me. What, you know, we're people who have so many friends that our earth friends can't believe it. We have so many people in our lives that are willing to give us and help us in any way they can. And I had a sponsor who always said, my first AA sponsor was a man named Frank Fitzpatrick. And he was the first man, he was the director of that detox center. And he was my first sponsor. And his sponsor was a man named Frank Honeycutt. And he was a priest that got sober at Long Beach Naval Hospital. And Frank used to go in there and take meetings. And Frank was his sponsor. And what would happen is, is that we would move to Southern California. And he knew Dottie. And he knew Frank. And Frank would become Dave's sponsor. And Frank would become James's sponsor, my son. And I had Dottie. You cannot make that, that stuff up. How do, how do the dots connect? like that. It's absolutely impossible, but it's not odd. It's God. God goes and connects the dots and put us all together because 
He loves us. I just know God loves alcoholics. And every time that phone rings and it's an alcoholic, one of the things that I know is when I lived back in Southern California and some of the people who, who are, there's a lot of people from Southern California on this Zoom, but of, you know, a local meeting was from, from the Mexican border in San Diego to Bakersfield. That was a local meeting that you went to, spoke at the meeting, drove back home and went to work the next day. That's what you did. And you think, God, how, what, how did I do that? I didn't do it. God gave, it, gave me the strength to do that. And today, I would not take for one of those times when I would do that and say, oh, my God, how am I going to work tomorrow? How am I going to work tomorrow? I'm so tired. I'm so tired. And the day was over, and you'd put in your eight hours, and now you get to go to a meeting. And those were the things that I, I loved. As I sit here now, with 45 years of sobriety and 82 years old, which is, you know, a far cry from where I was when I first got doing things a little differently. But what I get to do is I got to, I get to serve the God of my understanding and I get to be a mouthpiece for God and to say, I can't do this alone. I need God and I need you. And these are, and I know today, if I just suit up and show up and do the next right thing, God will do the rest. I am so grateful to be an alcoholic and I am so grateful to be able to talk on this meeting and be able to be at this conference, even though I won't get to be at it in May because I'm not traveling for a while when I get to do that again. But I'm not traveling for a while. But I love the job that, that, that God has given me now. And he has laid my precious husband in my arms so that I can be the one who takes care of him. And I am so grateful for God. Nay, I love you. Thank you.